Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jakob, Thomas, and Mads to discuss the topic of Agile in tech leadership. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Thomas, I believe you're going to kick it off for us. Thank you, Sam. Uh, happy to be here. So I'm Thomas. I've uh, been with Musk for 12 years now. Started with as a developer, a software engineer, whatever you like to call it. Worked a lot with algorithms and data and uh, decision support stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, moved into a Scrum Master role. And uh, from that, into a team lead, engineering manager. So that's a bit of uh, where I got my, uh, my agile mindset from. I brought it with me from the uh, Scrum Master. Fantastic. Looking forward to this one today with you, Thomas. It's your second time on the podcast and it went very successfully last time. Mads, over to you. Let us know a bit more. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah, my name is Mess uh, with a silent D. <laughs> uh, I work for a company that's making video management systems, so milestone systems. And I'm basically responsible for one of the feature teams, um, one of the units working on the yeah, core system. Um, and yeah, my journey is basically from developer, scrum master, and then, uh, now, uh, engineering manager, um, uh, basically a bit like Thomas, very similar. Yep. Fantastic. And uh, it's Mads' debut, uh, here today on the Evolution Exchange. Um, very looking forward to this one. So two out of three are scrum masters. Yeah. Do you want to introduce yourselves? How are you going to get three out of three here? I do have a scrum master certification somewhere. Uh, so my name is Jacob. Uh, I am engineering manager at Storytel in Denmark, better known as Mofibo. And I've been with the company for about three years in, in this role. And I also have a developer background uh, and a little different. I've spent a number of years working as an agile coach uh, in a number of companies before uh, jumping on as an engineering manager. Fantastic. Thank you, Angle. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, now that we've kind of established, you know, a context around each of you, we'll work our way around the room and go through the question and the reasons behind putting those questions and give everyone an opportunity uh, to give their take on the situation. I think a good way to start off is always um, to give a bit of context around Agile. And I'm going to ask each of you now just to give me a bit on what Agile means to you. Uh, Jakob, we'll come to you first. You're uh, closest on my screen. Sure. Um, so I've, I've had a long career of things called Agile. And, and lately, the last couple of years, I'm starting to distance myself from the whole concept of Agile in the Agile community. And the, the reason about that is I think it's becoming a lot, it's becoming a lot about process. It's becoming a lot about um, how you do things. And I think we are kind of missing, we're forgetting the customer. We're forgetting the value that we're delivering. 
And so my focus lately has been a lot about how do we build great products? How do we create value for our customers rather than discussing how we estimate in story points or how teams are built or, or something like that? So it, it all comes together. Um, and, and agile to me is very much being able to respond to change and doing things with a good mindset. Um, but it all comes down to building great products. I think that's the core of it. Fantastic. There was a lot of nodding heads there on the screen. Uh, Thomas, we'll come to you next. Yeah, I second that a lot. For me, Agile is a mindset. It's not a set of ceremonies or a framework or either you use this framework or that framework or that's not really Agile, it's a mindset. And it's how you think about the problems you solve and, and the value you bring and you, that you think about value <laughs> to begin with, maybe. Um, and... Uh, Actually, I, to prepare a bit for this, I also just uh, picked up one of my favorite texts, the Agile Manifesto. And here, 20 years old, more than 20 years old, it still holds. Of course, it gets a little bit dusty. Some of it might be, you know, we are better than now than back then, but it's actually not uh, it's, it's not too bad. And I think that's actually a lot of the, the mindset. If you understand that and you can live that, then you've got the, the right mindset. Then you can use whatever framework you like. It doesn't really matter that much. And I think it can be applied to, to all levels um, in, in an organization, which is often missed. And I think that's one of the problems with leadership and agile and, and leadership is that, oh, but agile, that's what the team do, right? Now, then I sit here on my leadership position and do what I always did. Then it won't work. It has to, you have to have an agile mindset up again, up in the organization also. Else you're going to get in trouble and you're going to hit a wall some point in time and uh, Someone needs to mitigate that, or you need to convert one way or the other, I think. Often, in my experience, one, one way of uh, noticing the leaders that think they know Agile, but don't really, they usually say something like, we work Agile, and now we will work Agile, and we will accelerate the speed exponentially of what we deliver. Stuff like that, right? I'm, I have a math background. Exponentially is really, really a crazy thing. Most people don't understand how crazy it is. I used to work with non-polynomial problems. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I love Fantastic. Go on, Thomas. I love that you brought the math into this, Thomas. <laughs> uh, Everything is about math in the end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I like that you pointed out the thing with, uh, with like, then we're going to produce everything faster and it's going to go exponentially faster, right? But uh, that's not what Agile does. It's more like uh, showing you everything that is wrong or a lot of the things that are wrong uh, or might keep you from reaching the pace that uh, you can actually reach, right? Um, but I should probably also answer the same question. And I thought a bit about this because for me it was kind of hard because I think it has become so much of my own mindset that it was hard to answer. Um, so for me, it's more about doing what makes sense in the situation, uh, but also what makes sense for the people that are doing the work, but also for the users that will end up uh, using the product in the end, right? Uh, and of course, the priority between uh, the three different parts uh, can change based on well, the situation you're in, right? It does make more sense for the people that are doing the work or does it make more sense for the people uh, that will end up using the product. So it can be that the people that are doing the work wants to do it in one way because 
that might be the uh, right way and it takes a long time but if we don't have time to do that then we need to get it out to the user so they can actually use it then it's i mean it's about being pragmatic about some things that's it's basically agile for me right yeah rest i love it thank you guys for kind of setting that context for everyone and what it does mean to you to be agile mass i believe we're coming to your question uh next what is the one thing that you see needs to change from being a traditional leader to becoming an agile leader. Before we let Jakob and Thomas uh, dig their teeth into the, the question there, can you give us a bit of context? Um, yes, uh, it's because I have always find, uh, found it interesting. Uh, like they recently changed the Scrum Guide, for example, so it was more or less tech oriented, but uh, it's more like covering multiple areas of expertise, if you can say it like that, right? And uh, so I find the part interesting whether you can apply Agile, not necessarily Scrum, in different departments, like where you don't necessarily see it traditionally, like finances, marketing, sales, whatever, right? And uh, without knowing, I've never worked in departments like that. Uh, so I just made the an unfair assumption that there was more like traditional leadership, right? Um, and yeah, traditional leadership for me is where you provide more guidance, direction, and motivation with the goal of improving the business position and not necessarily so much about the people. Um, just to give my take on traditional leadership at least uh, very shortly. So yeah, that's my context for that question. Fantastic. Jakob, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. So I think the short answer is yes. Uh, and and there are plenty of good examples. Um, I've, I've been dwelling into this topic uh, a few years ago, and there's a good examples. There's something called the Agile Marketing Manifesto uh, that they apply. There is, um, uh, there is a big shift in HR uh, around... Uh, going agile and, and working with agile and also having an HR department that supports the tech department in their agile way of working in, in that mindset shift. Uh, you have uh, beyond budgeting, which is really an agile approach to uh, budgeting. You have, I mean, there's a lot of these movements and then of course, depends on what you, what you signify as agile. But if you go further and talk about Kanban and lean, there's a lot of applications in healthcare, there's a lot of kind of broader applications to how you would shift to a way of working with cross-functional teams, quicker response to change, uh, and you know reducing width, etc., etc., etc. So I think that the short answer is yes, you can apply these, um, but you kind of have to create the flavor that fits the work that you do. Fantastic, Thomas. Have you got anything to add? Yeah, I was thinking more of it in the, I didn't think so much outside the tick box, to be honest. Uh, sorry about that. Um, but I, one thing I noticed is that the many agile leaders, the leaders, they, they, they like to refer to themselves not as agile leader. I actually never heard that term before this podcast. <laughs> uh, but usually they refer to themselves as servant leaders. Um, and I think that puts some what is actually the biggest, the one thing that you need to change is that you change from that you got people serving you to that you're serving someone. 
that you're serving people. I think that's maybe the one biggest change for most leaders, at least mental change. And some say, say yeah, now I'm I'm actually a leader or servant leader, but they actually didn't make that mental change. And the, I'd, I'd like to actually just throw one of my, what do you call it in English? In Danish, you call it kepist. In English, you call it uh, one of the things that I I'd say whenever I get the chance, uh, especially when I hear anyone talking about people as resources. Then I always ask them, so do you need another database? What is it you need here? Oh, you need people. Okay, then please talk about people. I don't understand that. Resources, that is something that you allocate and you deplete. You don't do that with people. At least doesn't work in, in an agile setup. Um, and it ties a lot into that as an agile leader, you, your role is to empower people to, to deliver. And uh, as I said, I just refreshed a bit on the agile manifest. And I think actually one of the principles actually put it, it says it pretty well with uh, build projects around motivated individuals, get them to get them the environment and support they need and trust them to get the work done, the job done actually. Um, and I think that that actually entails the whole serving leadership quite well in some to some degree also. And how you should interact with people. Actually, one of the things that I hate the most about um, about the engineering manager role in an in an agile environment is that you got this mix of. Um, I actually don't think the engineering manager always should impose anything agile because you got this conflict mix of that you're the leader for the people, right? There's a there's an that potential conflict uh, in uh, interest of conflict. That's why you usually would have a scrum master that should refer to somewhere completely different and can go in and take all the battles with this stupid leader, the stupid engineering manager that comes in and mess it up, right? Um, but if you're if 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 you don't if you're that person, then it can be a little bit hard to have that self insight sometimes. I think, at least for some people, yeah, myself included, once in a while. I have no clue if anyone uh, reporting to me is listening to this, but they could probably. <laughs> but I wouldn't always do that. I need someone else to, 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 to tell me. Then I'll probably react to it, but. I'll just break by the time even. I think another thing that's very important when transitioning leadership style is that uh, for many people, you need to get, you need to let go of some control you used to have. Um, you're not in control anymore. You're in control of sitting in the direction, putting out the playing field. Maybe putting some some borders and some some uh, directions and help, but uh, but you need to let a bit control, you know, trust trust them to get the, the job done, basically, right? Mm -hmm. As a, you, you you need to put more trust, and uh, even if you think, well, this could have been done better or something, if I did it, you need to maybe take a step back sometimes. Yeah. Just to jump in there, Thomas, I think Jacob's got something to add, and then I think Matt has as well. Yeah, and I. Trying to build on what you're saying, Thomas, I think there is, people have an illusion of control. It's, uh, you've, you've seen, you sit on hierarchical power and you have an assumption that you have control, which really don't. And, and I mean, back to Matt's original question is, I think you can apply these principles no matter what type of work you do uh, and drive the decision-making uh, to the people closest to the work rather than having it mm. sit with a manager higher up or you know something it, it's about this empowerment and and the manager right. being then responsible for creating the environment where this team can thrive 
and being responsible for making sure that the team has all the knowledge and uh, to solve all the problems that they're facing. Yeah, exactly. The last podcast I was on, one of my main points was exactly that in informal power eats formal power for breakfast. It's uh, yeah, the team often has the informal power. You got the formal power as the leader, right? But if the informal power you have to earn, that you can never take, you know, that's what other people give to you. And that's, uh, I think that ties a bit into it also here. Last, we'll come, we'll come to you. <laughs> well, I might just be joining the choir here uh, regarding the empowerment, right? Um, because uh, I, uh, I don't have the necessary technical background to make some of the decisions that might be needed for my team. So I am relying and trusting basically 100% on, on my team to make the right technical decisions. I've also told them that if it's something that they, um, that affects their way of working, uh, the last thing I want to do is to tell them, this is how it's going to be. Uh, I want them to be in on the decisions. I want them to be in on having an influence on how it's happening. And I hope and believe that, uh, that uh, they both trust me to do that through the actions I'm actually uh, taking and also um, yeah, through the actions that they see uh, that they're taking themselves as well. Yeah. Excellent. But great question there, Matt. Uh, I would like to move on to, to the next one. We're having a couple of questions fire in as well. So I do want to leave some time at the end to answer those. Uh, the next question is, is Jakobsen, um, after Thomas is, I suppose, points you made there about needing agile and scrum masters this is quite an apt question um question is what do we need agile coaches scrum masters product owners for if we have great engineering managers that can coach people could be close to their team and product managers that understand the product have these roles come around in a way to fill gaps that um in the manager's contents and uh, Jakob will come to you to give us a context before going over to thomas yeah, so it's basically, you know, I, I see it again, myself stepping away from, from agile and the definitions of it is, do we really need these roles? We, if it's about building great products, is it important that we have a scrum master? Is it important that we have a product owner? Um, the flip side of this is of course, are we asking too much of our engineering managers? A lot of this falls on their, uh, shoulders. The question is basically, do we, do we really need to have these roles in a team or in an organization for this organization to, I don't know, by any definition, call itself agile? Yeah. Do we need an engineering manager to do that? Right. I think if you have a team with an agile mindset, I don't think you need any of the rest of it. Right. Uh, agile coaches, scrum masters, they are for the transition period of making a great agile mindset, a team basically, right? A self-organized team, once you have that, the scrum master is part of the self-organization in the team, right? I, I would assume <laughs> it, it could be, right? You don't necessarily need that specifically, right? Most of the people can take it from the personal location. All those people take it. It's a part of the natural way you work. The same with, especially agile coaches, that, that's a transition That's a tra 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 transition thing. It's if you need to make a transition, you go get an actual, an agile coach. That's Jacob, right? You've been in a lot of different companies as an agile coach, I assume. <laughs> um, and a bit the same with the product owner. If the team know what brings value and is focused on the value, the product owner is there to make sure they work with the most valuable thing, right? 
But as a team has a value mindset and and the customer mindset, then you actually don't need a product owner. That's a product owner is a scrum uh, thing, right? You might not run scrum, you might run agile or something. Um, I think I think in principle, all of these is that to support the transition into being in that state. And I don't know if any team ever gets to a Nirvana state, kind of. And that's why we have all of them, including the engineering manager to some degree, right? Why do you need a leader if you can self-organize? You probably don't. You take turn or there's a natural leader in the team that takes that, that takes the development of the other uh, part of it. There's a natural architect in the team. There's a natural... Why do you need an, an engineer manager then? Um, I, 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 I would actually say that uh, I'd much rather have a company that are full of teams without engineer managers than companies that are full of engineer, engineer managers without teams. Oh, right. It's not the engineer manager that creates a lot of stuff. It's actually sometimes the engineer has to be a bit careful not to get in the way of the value creation, right? But I think that's sometimes more the task of the engineer manager than, than the opposite. <clears throat> so, I don't, you kind of put the agile coach, scrum master and product owner up against the engineer manager, but I actually think they are part of the same group <laughs> in, in this context, to some degree at least, right? And I know it's very, it's not black, white, right? And so, but, but to some degree, I think we are closer to being a mix between an agile coach and an architect and an, uh, uh, we have people leadership, right? Developing of others, uh, uh, product management. I also got quite a bit of that in my role because I like it, right? But you know, we got a lot of different hats we can put on, right? And uh, but I also see engineer managers only use half those hats because that's what they're good at. And that still works, right? Because then they get support from others, so the team take care of some of the rest of it. You know. Um, I'm not sure an engineer manager is, is that needed when it comes to it. It's just I, mean, I kind of I disagree with that, but I I I think <laughs> that there is I think there is a need for not for these roles necessarily, but for some of the competences and for some of the things that these roles do, and uh, mm. and whether that hits on the engineering manager yeah. or a product manager or whatever we call it. But I think there is a necessary to have somebody that focuses on the space and the system around and has that freedom um and at the same time i think it's a bit naive i yes self-organizing teams absolutely i've never seen that in practice to the extent where they i've heard about it i've never actually observed it of a team that could go there and of course it's not a a team never stays in one state because the environment around them change. Yeah, yes, quit, exactly. Yes, people, yes. And they move back and they move forward and, and, and things keep changing. And sometimes they need that external forces to, you know, get them yeah. to improve. And sorry, I must wanted to let you into this as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. Um, but I'm kind of annoyed when you're saying what I want to say. No, um, uh, I also see that the engineering manager uh, is needing at least some kind of role that is taking care of the people's development, right? Uh, and also taking care of maybe some of the more administrative tasks without being a secretary uh, as well, uh, because that's you can probably do cheaper, right? That's something you can probably do cheaper, definitely. Um, but your 
I mean, it's it's guidance also keeping people or uh, the team on track, so they're not just going out on a tangent. Uh, like, how how is the joke with the uh, the guy that have to change a light bulb in the um, in the fridge or something like that, and then uh, the door squeaks, and then he ends up going to the garage for some oil, and then he can't find the oil, so he goes to uh, go to get the car keys to go, and then uh, the car won't start, and then he, you know, it like. You can end on a tangent where you're getting away from mm. what you originally mm. had to solve. And uh, where if you look at the Scrum Master role, then it's more about facilitating the process. You have the product owner to facilitate that we're actually working on the most important things. Um, and if I can just contribute uh, or try to answer the question as well, then uh, the question focus quite a lot on uh, Scrum with the Scrum Master and the product owner, right? And I really like, Thomas, what you, what you said about uh, all, you don't have to run Kanban, you don't have to run Scrum, right? You might run Agile. Um, and just because you implement Scrum or you implement Kanban or whatever, it doesn't necessarily make you Agile. If you don't um, manage uh, to change uh, for the environment or uh, follow the requirements that might come in absolutely um, and it's very simple like also doing a sprint if you just take scrum and you're like oh but we have started the sprint already so next time we can uh, shift the work is when the sprint ends and we're planning again but then you have already lost the agile focus right um and now i might be going on an uh, tangent uh, as well <laughs> um, but yeah I uh, yeah what did I say here um, yeah so I think the most important thing uh, you can do is like coach the people right um, and one of the reasons I'm sitting here today in this company is because they had the right culture like that, uh, that is basically people first uh, in almost everything we do. So it's both for the product, it's for uh, for the culture here, it's uh, how the leadership is, and we are actually doing it. That's, uh, that's, that's impressive as well, and it's something I enjoy because I like the people, I don't necessarily like the tech, uh, and that's, that's for my people to do that, right? Um, yeah, so it's about facilitating, yeah. Excellent, Jacob. I know you've really jumped in um, to talk for for Thomas, but have you got anything else to add? No, I think. Unfortunately, I think we're we're pretty aligned. Uh, this conversation is more interesting if we're disagreeing. But uh, it is really a, again back to the value creation, back to the focus on the product and mm -hmm. and and creating something for the for the customers. I put out the question there specifically around because I don't think we need these roles. I don't think. You need Scrum. I don't think you need to follow this process um, to be able to deliver, but you can't lose sight of what you're actually trying to do and what you're actually trying to build. And our customers really don't care. I mean, our customers really don't care if we have product owners or if we have, if we're running this or that uh, method or if we are running waterfall or a sweat shop, whatever, as long as we're delivering good software. And probably also that they get it on time, a timely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> they might care if you're running a switch up, right? But they they might. They might. They might. If they actually look into it, they might. I, we are not, by the way. But, but. Good to know. 
Sure. Excellent, Gail. Jakob, thank you for that question. Uh, moving on to, to Thomas's now, um, and he's, he's gone for a bit of an inverse. I'll let him describe the context in a second, but uh, what can a leader do to make an organization less agile? As we'll be coming to you first after the context from Thomas, so no one will be stealing your answers this time, mate. <laughs> yeah, so the context of this is to switch it a, a bit around, try to explain what what does it mean when I think of an agile leader, I also think of an agile organization. I see it as a, uh, there's a relationship between them. So what, as a leader, if we describe, what can you do to, to, make, to make your organization environment less agile? It also explains something about what you can do to make it agile. So it's about turning the turning the mirror around and see uh, how does a bad look like, what, how does good look like, uh, then on, on on the other side of it. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that popped into my head is of course micromanagement, right? Mm -hmm. um, and but there's many other ways to killing agile in an organization. Um, I have seen. Uh, leaders say that, oh, we are agile here, but if you wanted to change the process, you had to change it for the other teams as well. And that kind of kills the way of doing what makes sense for the team and yeah. what, um, what like gives the best opportunities, uh, both for the individuals to, uh, like perform, uh, but also for the teams to reach the full potential together. And if you're in a setup like that, I think you have, I don't know, killed it from the beginning. Um, I haven't seen uh, the next example, uh, and I hope I never will, but I have read about the like, kind of seagull uh, management, if you can say it like that, that is flying and shitting all over the place and then uh, leaving again. And the team is just like, what happened? <laughs> um, and that could be like, I don't know, dictating uh, ways of doing things, uh, uh, coming in and telling specific people to do. Uh, so basically jumping in with a bit of micromanagement and after they have just done that, then they're gone again and can't reach them, you can't see them, they're just gone. Uh, and yeah, that was, that was what I could come up with uh, just like out of my mind, yeah. Good examples. I I got the done this one with the team and the processes. I I remember at some point in time. I don't remember three, four, four teams maybe, and all teams was running two week sprints instead of one team that run three week sprints. And it was also I, I told them right. It's a bit annoying you run three week sprints, but you know what? I'll defend your right to do it at to my for for the end. Uh, because it's it, it worked for them. I was about to say, but for, uh, for how long should a sprint be? Uh, like, how long should it be? Until it ends. You define that when the sprint starts, right? Um, well, you should. Oh, but uh, ideally, you should. In it, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, yeah. In in my experience, then uh, then uh, it shouldn't be too long. In if you if you most teams that have a long sprint, they usually do it because oh, we don't want to have all these ceremonies. So if we have longer sprints, we have less of it. We have uh, less planning meetings. We have less retros. We have less of all this stuff, and we can get some work done. That's at least. Uh, I, that's that's, that's often what I'm thinking. 
Yeah, I completely disagree as well, right? Because it's hard to it's hard to plan for a sprint, right? Or something like that. we spend so much time planning. If we have longer sprints, we spend less time planning. And I would say no. It's you know if if you find it hard to to plan for a two week sprint, a three week sprint is going to be even harder, and it's going to be even more time, and you're going to be even more annoyed along the way, right? So maybe you should try with one week sprint. So, so at uh, at Storytel, or at least in the department where I work, we are running a a process that's it's similar to Shape Up that they uh, from from Basecamp that actually takes into account we we work on missions, run for a mission for six weeks, and then we have two weeks of cooldown, and then we run another mission for six weeks. And in that mission, some some of the teams iterate in one week cycle, some of the teams iterate in two week cycles, some of the teams don't have any of that. Uh, but they run for six weeks, and I think what 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 I'm missing here, and what you're saying, and moving away from the question a little bit, but I really think the alignment is is important. If you are running at a scale, if you're running a bigger organization, um, you need that alignment. Where are we going? What's the direction? Uh, and it doesn't really matter if it's two week sprints, three week sprints. You can leave some of those decisions. You can push those decisions mm-hmm. down to the teams, to whatever works in their contexts. Maybe. You know, we're, we have apps and we are dependent on App Store and hence, you know, there's a dependency over here uh, and we can release to production 50 times a day so we can iterate in another, uh, in another way. Mm. But you need the alignment because if you are running at scale, if you're running multiple teams, you need to go in a certain direction and you need to be able to gather teams in that direction. And I saw Mass waving a hand here. I'll give you the opportunity. Yeah, but now I can't remember it. Uh, <laughs> it, it actually was yes, it, it actually wasn't bigger pro- that big a problem. Uh, we still coordinated. We uh, every quarter we kind of made a high level plan with dependencies or what do we need to coordinate along the way, and we just did that between the teams. Uh, and sometimes with a bit of annoyance that oh, okay, I forgot your team didn't start and stop the same uh, sprint doesn't start and stop the same hours too, but it was it wasn't really a blocker for most things. Also, it's important that the sprints are long enough for the teams to be able to deliver something of value. So, two days is uh, probably a. Well, it depends on the context, right? How, how, what does your team need to be able to deliver a valuable increment of that software? Um, yes, two days is very short, but I think also two weeks is, is, it's hard to create something that is that meaningful. Again, depending on the context that is. Um, and sometimes it's also one of the things that we're discussing a lot is, we can ship software. We can ship software every day. We can we can ship increments of software uh, multiple times a day. Uh, but where does the value come in? Where does the where do we start the A/B test? Where do we gather the information about uh, what our customers are doing with this piece of software? Mm-hmm. Whether we reached an outcome, not just the output, uh, and how do we iterate on that? And that usually, I mean, that takes longer than two weeks. You need that feedback cycle. Um, and you need to incorporate that in the way of working. And if you're only running two week sprints um, all the time, you kind of you can lose sight of what that bigger flow is. It's definitely a luxury. Uh, it's definitely a luxury to be able to release multiple times per day. Um, we we can do it a couple of times per year, um, but that's for some yeah completely other reasons. 
but yeah, the the important thing is that the sprints are long enough for the teams to be able to deliver value. Because if they can't do that, then they will have a lot of uh, like feeling of failing a lot of times before they have maybe have one feeling of uh, success. Um, and uh, we talked a bit about the sprint lengths as well. Uh, I still uh, I see it as important to at least have a checkpoint. Uh, once in a while where everyone is saying, yep, we're still alive and yep, we're still working towards the same product. Uh, we haven't decided to make uh, bands uh, instead of making houses in this team. So we're still making houses. Um, yeah, uh, I think that was... Maybe just to... Actually, we right now we have a setup where the teams completely decide for themselves more or less. And some teams are running two-week sprints, some are running three-week sprints, some are running Kanban. Some are running Kanban, and then they came up with this uh, set, uh, this uh, concept of having task forces. So they're running Kanban in general, and then they have a task force doing something. It's a little bit like emissions, I think. It's kind of, you know, then you they focus on, on one specific sub-problem and, and focus on, on that side of it, while the rest of the team, of, but the team in general is running Kanban. Um, and we just coordinate along the way still. That's a, uh, I don't think it actually impacts a lot in the coordination. It's it's a little bit like our approach to releasing is also we release when we got something new. It's not about if the sprint ends or if it's some weeks we release I don't know two, three, four times in a week. Other we other times there can be multiple weeks between. It actually depends on if there's something new to release. That's the trigger of it, rather than anything else actually. <laughs> but isn't it hard then to get that feedback loop of what you? built and if you're going in the right oh, direction we are actually spending a lot of time uh, here in the autumn we spend a lot of time setting up all the data collecting to get that feedback loop and now we're, we we just had two weeks where we forced some of our users to do extra work to give us extra feedback now we are analyzing that and starting to realize oh this is this is what we need to do this is what we need to do now we need to be a bit careful not to try to do all of it and you know figure out okay what is the best to do and get put some more angles to it, put more data to it if we can. That's actually quite important. And uh, then, okay, that's actually a long time to do an increment. I completely agree with you because we haven't done an increment in that time. But hopefully the increments will be really interesting. And then we're going to measure the outcome again. And I think you have a really good point about the value and outcome. It's actually one of the major differences between, I think, if you want to go back, if we go back to the question a bit, if you want to uh, make sure that your organization is not agile, then you make it into a feature factory. Then you make sure that they deliver feature, 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 and they deliver them faster and faster. And uh, you also make sure that you measure all the individuals on the velocity, right? Number of line of code produced and maybe number of bugs that are fixed, right? That's a feature That's factory, right? You could also maybe uh, just support their growth and learning from the level they're at, right? And you. Instead of focusing on the feature factory and the, the uh, you could focus on the outcomes and give them the responsibility of the outcomes actually. And instead of giving them the responsibility, a feature factory, that's the input for the outcomes, right? Uh, I, I think I want to get back to also answering your original question. Yeah. I realized I never did that. And then <laughs> it's, I think the job of an engineering manager as it's set up today, it's, it's, it's hard. Like being a good engineering manager is hard. And, and I think it's hard not to step on any of those uh, you know, step into any of those holes of, of killing an, an agile mindset. 
I think the worst thing you can do is disempower the team and take away their um, take away their autonomy and take away their freedom to act. Yes, you need alignment, so you need some structures and you need some guidelines, uh, guardrails, if you will. But just telling the team, feeding them with tickets, um, having decisions made elsewhere, that I think kills it. And then, of course, as an engineering manager and upwards, you are responsible for the environment. And if the environment doesn't allow the team to experiment, doesn't allow the team to improve and learn from the feedback loops, if you isolate them from those feedback loops, there will never be any chance for them to iterate and improve things as they go. But you also have the opposite one, right? So you could say, okay, there's no limits. You just decide everything. But if the team is not mature enough for this, then nothing is going to happen. Not, nothing is going to yeah. change. All everyone is running in different directions. And then you're missing the alignment again. Yeah, you, you need to set the playing field, right? Where they can run within and then a goal. <laughs> But but I think, Mas, I think you're onto a point here. Of it requires a certain seniority of a team. You need these, this knowledge in a team. Like you can't take you know, five students straight out of school and then expect them to be able to iterate on these things because they simply don't have the experience and they don't have the context and they don't have the knowledge. So for this team to work, I mean, that's another way of, great way of killing it, right? It, it, making sure not the right people are on the bus and... and then things won't work. It will fall apart. But you can you can also still have all the right people uh, and say you go. But if they don't know each other, if they if they haven't like found each other, uh, been through the what is it, forming, norming, storming, other way around. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, but then um, if they're not at the right spot, then they are also not mature enough to be able to uh, de uh, make decision. Uh, uh, for themselves, uh, but uh, at least they are, but maybe within a bit more stricter frame than uh, what you would have if you have a more mature team. I think that's a, a great end uh, point to end on there. Uh, so I do want to leave a bit of time. We've got a couple of questions coming. Um, Thomas, I believe one of the people that, that you may know, um, she said, good to see you, uh, is Tanya Gorbo-Novik. I apologize if I butchered the name. Um, she wants to know from, from you guys, uh, seen from your chair, how can HR use Agile or Scrum both as a methodology and a mindset? Um, Thomas, since it's to you, we'll start with you and then work our way around the room again. Yeah, so so Tanya used to be my HR partner some time ago. Uh, hey, um, so how HR could use it? Um, I think in my, in my impression, then HR has a little bit maybe the same setup as we actually have and now might be corrected, but there's a lot of, you, you have the same process you keep running through, right? Uh, you are doing some recruitment and you're doing some, the months kind of and the year kind of have a, a, a pace. At this time of the year, there's uh, the salary review. At this time of the year, there's this, uh, this process going on and so on. So that you can put into a, put into a, 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 uh, put 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 this put put an agile structure down for that. If it's Kanban or if it's uh, uh, Scrum or something else, I think. But then you also got these. Uh, oh, now we got a problem over here. There's some firefighting also, right? It's a bit like our box, I think, right? While the others and maybe also start to questioning about uh, get 
get get the value into it sometimes. I think in HR, you often do projects. Then we, for example, just had a big project where they changed the way we evaluate people. So instead of uh, doing a direct evaluation for the manager, we're actually not evaluating people anymore. We are going to instead uh, uh, focus much more on how do you de- de- develop people, which I think is awesome because it fits much better with what I actually do. <laughs> uh, I didn't fit that nicely into the old system. Um, but that's a project to change that as a change project and so on, but you don't, and there you focus on the value and the outcome. But in these continuous things in HR, you kind of forget what is the value and the outcome sometimes. I guess it's a little bit mechanical. Um, I think I think you could use some of the agile mindset to actually get the right angle to to some of these ongoing things. Excellent, Mas. What's your thoughts on this? Well, I think Tanya's uh, question came. I my uh, uh, like setting the stage for my question and. I don't think I would ever implement Scrub in an HR organization, um, but the, there might be some other agile processes that could fit in without knowing too much about how uh, the work is organized in an HR organization. Uh, but I do reckon that, of course, I also see some of the processes there, as Thomas mentioned, the salary review process, the hiring processes, um, and, but how I would do it, I don't know. That might also have been why I asked the question. <laughs> it's a great point. And, and Jakob? Yeah. So first of all, I, I point to, there is actually a lot of work done in this area. There's a whole movement called agile people. Uh, and also there's a book out, uh, there, there are user groups, uh, and there's a, also a movement around agile HR and, and how you approach it. it. It's much more focused, uh, on how you create that environment. I mean, HR to me is some of the people that the business partners or some of the people that work on the system that kind of fits around it. How do you do company bend in this area? How do you do appraisals? How do you, uh, how do you make sure that a, a manager can empower the team and make sure that the team can make these decisions and be accountable for it and then support these managers? I mean, some of them have a long journey to make of being able to trust the team and and being able to understand how these things are. Um, But there is definitely a lot uh, that has to shift from an old way of working to allow teams to be able to make decisions, iterate, and make sure that they have what the tools that they need, that they can make these decisions. And and in many organizations, HR stand in the way of this. So I think it's that mindset shift and then of course going on the process side i think i strongly believe that you can apply lean and kanban to almost any type of work that you do and you can visualize your work there are some of these principles that you can apply to almost anything you can work as a cross-functional team hr can get much closer to the to the actual teams they work with uh, etc but there is a lot written and discussed about this topic it's also a key transparency is also a key thing I could imagine for HR, right? Because anything HR works with is, is by definition uh, GDPR and uh, and secret to some degree, at least for some people, right? Usually most of the things you work with, right? So how do you build transparency into that? How do you make a transparent, anonymous uh, 
that anyone in the company can win and see this is a, this is a HR's a trans, uh, what are they working on what is uh, are they behind are they uh, can uh, you know all this uh, uh, can can you keep up in a constant pace or stuff like that and make make that visible also in the organization right um, that's that's maybe one of the trickiest things for HR I'm, I just realized. Now, I, since since I was uh, I, I was uh, working with uh, Tanya, which was a very good experience. It's not that long ago we worked together, and since I had two two new HR partners, and each time it was a different way. Um, I think that also ties into it some knowledge sharing, but more knowledge and the learning culture. I, I also connect learning culture and agile to some degree because. Uh, when you do agile, it's very important that you've got some kind of learning culture. I think um, that could probably also be be an, be an, be an aspect of it that that, that uh, would would be good in, in HR. So it's not just these uh, handbooks and uh, SOPs and stuff like that, but you actually also share what's a good way to support people, what's a good way to support the leaders. Um, but that also comes down to preference, right? Um, uh, that would also be a change uh, as soon as you get a new manager or leader. Uh, that would be a change, even though there might be a handover uh, or not. Uh, then there will be a shift in how things are doing. So, I, I, I don't, I don't see that much of a problem in the change of how they're working, how they are approaching uh, the managers they're working with. Definitely not. But but yes, uh, there should be some kind of yeah. It's more than just SOPs and processes and yeah. It's also it's again about people. Uh, this HR yeah. Yeah, and you had a good point about being in control, Tanya. That the uh, HR is supposed to be in control. Um, yeah, that paralyzes. <laughs> but yeah. Tanya, I hope uh, you got what you needed from from that. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed the, the whole life. Um, we've got plenty of uh, questions flying in. Um, we're going to try and go in order, but if there's any questions that aren't answered on this, I'll make sure the guys um, have visibility. And if we, we can get some answers from them, I'll definitely post them on the comments on the page and when we do the post as well. Um, we send out a newsletter here at the Evolution Exchange um, to ask, tell the people about our upcoming pro, um, podcast, live podcast. Um, and we asked people to come back with questions and this is one of them. And, um, Jamie's told me that, uh, how do you convince internal stakeholders to give agile another chance? If for example, they've failed with the implementation in the past, or have never really believed in it in the first place, the Jakob will come and start with you and, and go in that reverse order. I, I think it's the wrong question. I, um, I think the, I think you will fail trying to convince the stakeholder that we should work agile, uh, or that. If you failed with an implementation of Agile, you're in really bad position to do mm. anything like that. I, I think what you need to do is you need to, again, start focusing on how do we create more value and what are some of the things that we need to change and then start changing that. Um, I think it's a fallacy to believe that we're going to do an Agile transformation and then change everything all at once rather you would have to you know focus on how do we shorten the feedback loops how do we work in a cross-functional team how do we make sure that uh, our organization is supportive of, of empowering a team etc 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 so i really think that if if you would try to go to your stakeholders and try to get the permission to do an agile transformation 
your stakeholders should probably say no. Interesting, guys. Have you got anything else to add, or should we move to to the next question? Um, maybe, maybe just one thing, right? If it's hard to convince something about it, you need to show it. It's the only way to do it. It is to 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 find a team that can do it and show how it flies off the ground. Uh, that's one way of doing it. And else, I think what uh, Jakob also was saying, right? You don't have to call it agile. You can just take the principles, and uh, they they make sense, right? So it comes down to maturity because when when you tried the first time, the organization team might not have been as mature as it is today. So just because it didn't work half a year ago, it might actually work today. That's one of my catchphrases when people are saying, oh, we tried this before. Yeah, but it might work today. Yeah. But now you're running DevOps and that's actually a major enabler for, for working at child. And now, you're, you know, there's a lot of enablers that if you don't, Automated testing. If you don't do automated testing, it's really hard to be agile. Also, in my experience, so yeah. all these enablers, you can start working on those without, and then you can say, "Now, now we're ready for agile." But you don't need to call it agile at one way necessarily, right? Fantastic, and we'll get to the next one. We've still got five minutes, which is great. Um, apologize in advance um, for for the name uh, that I'm going to put you here, but um, Zeko is looking um, to ask a couple of questions in one here, so. Uh, is agile development less suited for teams of a certain size, um, perhaps a startup or two or three friends working on it? And is it possible uh, that following some of the agile development frameworks is going to result in less productivity in the early stages? I think we'll stick with those two for now. If we can get to the rest, we will. But yeah, um, Maz, we'll start with you this time. Well, for the team size, yes, definitely. Because the more more people you are in the team, the more uh, communication lines you need to create alignment um so the more you are the larger communication uh pile we can call it your hands um so but of course uh putting down a scrum process on two people that doesn't make sense either um and there there's like a sweet spot between, I would say, four and four and seven people, tops, something like that. Uh, that uh, that's where I would say the sweet spot is. Um, and yeah, I I believe that the bureaucracy should never be uh, larger than actually uh, doing the work. So if you see that whatever framework or process you decide to use. It's actually giving more work than the actual work you're doing, the value you're creating, uh, then uh, then you're not doing the right thing. I hope that answered the two questions. Yeah. Thomas, Jakob, or Thomas, I'll come to you first. Have you got anything to add? Um, yeah, I think teams, teams size, it depends on, depend on what you do, but for social development, uh, not less than three, and preferable around six, Plus minus one. Seven is also a good number. More than seven, it starts to is is this the starts to be overhead is my experience. And then about uh, agile, if that is uh, gonna gonna you know more productivity. If if you're a startup, are you gonna be hindered by agile? And I think it depends a lot on it. My, Scrum might hinder you a bit, but I think it's uh, if you have, if you talk Jakob talks a lot about uh, value, right? And that's exactly what you do in a startup. It's actually the core of it. I think agile and startup, that's a perfect match, right? 
And the same is also in this, you need to focus on making an, a minimal viable product all the time. You can always get smaller. That's actually one of my learnings is that you can always cut a bit out of it and figure out, okay, what's the least value you can actually give? And uh, and uh, just to return back to the Agile Manifesto, I just read it, right? So I need to, to I, I, got, I, I got excited about it again. And one of the things in, in that that actually ties a lot into this whole uh, with the startup and so is uh, is uh, the principle out, uh, about simplicity. The art of maximizing the amount of work not done is essential. This is exactly about the whole MVP thinking and that you, if you can argue for the work you shouldn't do to create value, that leaves you with the, with the cost of value, right? Um, and, and focus on that and focus on what, you know, if you need to code something to realize, oh, I shouldn't, this is not giving value. If you can, the earlier you can get that insight and, and actually cut away the work that you have to do, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's really core fit. Just quickly, um, Jakob will come to you and then, and then Mas. Yeah. So very quickly here, I, I don't think you need anything called agile in this environment. I, I think it's that it, a startup has this perfect capability of you have a small team that know each other, that have a shared goal, that have the ability to make the decisions that you need and pivot uh, very quickly. I wouldn't put any of these processes in place uh, until you really feel the pain of having a structure. And, and instead, I'd focus on things like XP programming or something else that helps you be productive and, and do the right things and work together as a, as a team and have the visibility of things to do. As we've got about 20 seconds, John, leave us on a final point. <laughs> yeah, I, I just uh, wanted to put the emphasis in, especially the startup environment too, like uh, put an emphasis on inspection and adaption um, because that's... I imagine that's definitely what you have to do uh, in that situation. Thank you for letting guys. I mean, we'll, we'll carry on and, and just round up here um, for the people that are going to be listening on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I think I just want to thank everyone, really. Um, Mads, Jakob, Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um, the live podcast today. I hope you um, have enjoyed it um, and hope to see you back here again on another topic. Um, if anybody listening would like to get involved with one of the upcoming podcasts, uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, or email me at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you.